Cherry Hill Volvo, we have absolutely incredible offers and a plethora of both new and certified Volvos from which to choose. We are eager to offer amazingly competitive prices, plus an additional $1,000 Costco discount on all new Cherry Hill Volvos. When leasing or purchasing a new or certified Cherry Hill Volvo, you become a valued part of our team. Join Cherry Hill Volvo for the pricing and attention you deserve. I am Judith Krepnick, president of Cherry Hill Volvo. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Joining us now is the author of the forthcoming book, Lies My Liberal Teacher Told Me, Dr. Wilfred Riley. Hello, doctor. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Good to, good to be on the show. Are you happy that we're going to have an early spring? Do you trust the groundhog? Uh, no. I mean, it's just a rodent. I have, I have no idea. You know, I didn't know today was Groundhog Day, actually. So uh, you you were the first person I heard mention that. But you, um, you didn't send out your Groundhog Day cards. No, I didn't. Didn't really do anything special for Groundhog Day. Really, it's <laughs> not a not a not a big holiday in this part of the country. But um, you know, hopefully there will. In Kentucky, we haven't really had much of a winter. Actually, it's been very climate changey. It snowed once. So I, 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 you know, I actually am inclined to believe the the, the marmot or whatever. Yeah, well, in Pennsylvania, it matters to us, obviously, because Pakistani Phil yeah. is one of our own. And, uh, you know, you go to Gobbler's Knob, so it's what you do. Let yeah. me ask you another question, too, while I have you. Carl Weathers, uh, well, besides Rocky, what is he going to be best remembered for? I mean, that's that's what I, I really remember him for. I mean, he was obviously Apollo Creed. I mean, he was in all, all four or six or whatever, the Rocky movies. You know, he made some cameo appearances, and now, I mean, I think it's the three Creed movies. So, I mean, probably 70% of his cinematic avoir that I've seen is uh, is that series of films. And, I mean, people back home in Chicago were kind of shouting him out and saying dumb stuff, like, I'm going to pick a fight with an Italian guy in his honor. But <laughs> he was definitely <laughs> he was definitely a pillar of kind of men's action cinema. So, R.I.P. to to big Carl Weathers. Apparently also a patriot and a funny guy, like gave a lot of money to charity, that kind of thing. So super, yeah, super was, sky point to Carl Weathers. And he was also very funny. I mean, he was great in Happy Gilmore and Arrested Development, too. I thought he had some, oh, yeah, some great sorry. roles in that. Uh, yeah, but let's he, talk about... Yeah, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, yeah, he, he definitely, I mean, as, as one of the non-lead characters. So, I mean, there are a lot of those guys that were great, like slightly better than character actors that were around in the game for many many years and he he definitely was one of them so i mean his presence will will be missed yeah no no doubt about it uh all right now let me ask you this so uh you wrote a piece in national review the intersectionality canard first of all when we say intersectionality which as you write is just a badly done woke version of regression analysis what the hell are we talking about 
Well, there, there are a lot of different things there. So first of all, regression analysis is this, I mean, these days it's all done on computers, but is this statistical technique of looking at the impact of one thing on another thing, like income on happiness with everything else adjusted for. Like there's a way using a program called Stata to hold steady, like are you married, are you black or white, are you male or female, how old are you, so on. So you can just look at the impact of that, that single variable income, and then you can move down to the next variable. And this is all printed out in a neat, what we call outputs ta- output table or results table. So that's really how you do statistical analysis. And there are actually ways to do more than this. I mean, you can do what's called a time series, what's called a logit model, like an actual professor or general or statistician, like someone who's, who's good with these models can do, can do a lot of things. Like we actually generally know what we're talking about. But a lot of what we call woke research doesn't do this. Like they don't, we would say they don't control for anything. So what you'd see in kind of like the Ibram Kendi school of of science, I don't really just want to pick on this guy, but I mean like someone will look at a difference between black and white people when it comes to mortgage rate acceptance. And they will find that both rates are quite high, but they'll find that black men are accepted for mortgages 69% of the time. And white men are accepted for mortgages 85% of the time. And they'll just sort of say that's racist. Like, what could that be but racism? And a lot of people have pointed out for years, well, that could be almost anything else. Like, white guys have better credit. And that, that's not because of racism. It's because black men as a community tend to be more urban. Some of us have a spending problem. Like, there are, there are practical reasons for that. So you have to be able to adjust for that to actually find any effect of racism. Intersectionality is kind of an attempt to do what I just said, but it takes into account only sort of woke variables like race, sex, are you gay? So I kind of said that just comparing blacks and whites doesn't do anything at all. And comparing blacks and whites and then adjusting for like, are you gay, doesn't really do anything. If you actually want to look at whether racism exists in society, you have to compare people and you have to look at like their credit scores, their crime rates. Are they married? You have to actually make sure you're comparing the same people. And it's actually pretty difficult to do that. So I give some advice on how to do that. And I say, you know, for young people who want to be academics or business people, this is, this is what you would do. And what would you do? Give us some advice. Well, well, you would you would compare the identical people. So if you're if you're looking at, and this is again to the triple O G Tom Soul, who fortunately uh, thank God is still with us. Yes. But I mean, you would you would basically like if you're looking at police shooting rates, and you're comparing whites, African Americans, and Hispanics. What you would do first is look at median age, and you'd put that into the model, like median age for each group. Um, you would look at the crime rate. So the black crime rate, partly because of age, is about 2.4 times the white crime rate. And there are big differences between cities and the country. It's three times as much crime in the city, whatever your race is. So you'd have to adjust for all this stuff. Like, are Hispanics more likely to live in cities where there's a higher rate of crime and so on? And you would then you'd, you'd press a button, you'd type in the word reg, and you would, you would see what the results were with everything adjusted for. And when people have actually done this, like Roland Fryer, who is the youngest black man ever hired at Harvard University, actually did this in a very famous paper in 2016. Like he looked at whether white or black men were more likely to be shot by cops. But he committed kind of a cardinal sin to the people who are funding this project. And he actually adjusted for stuff. 
So he looked at whether the defendant had a gun, you know, or is there an encounter with the cop? How dangerous is the person? He was like an education and income proxy. You know, the pictures of people. He did all kinds of crazy stuff. And he found that white guys were actually 27% more likely to be shot than African-American guys. So that was the result after you did the quote-unquote regression, after you included all the adjustments. If you didn't include the adjustments, you would always find that black men were twice as likely to be shot as white men. Because there were proportionately more stops of black men because we're much younger, we're more urban, we're more working class, and so we commit more crime. So I guess the point is you need to take all that into account. And we now, because we have these computers in our pockets and on our desks, we now have the ability to do that. So a lot of what we thought we knew is kind of worthless. Yeah, and, and, and I think that, um, as you as you put it, you know, there, there's a, a, a drive by the left out there. They, they want to scream that there's racism, that America's a racist country, America's a sexist country. They want all these things, and they want to push all these things out. And they they don't they don't want to actually look at the data of anything, because when you start doing that, you get into the narrative of this and you bring up in your piece. And it's an excellent piece. You bring up Heather McDonald, for example, as she's mm-hmm. pointed out for decades now, you know, the crime rate for black Americans, certainly before we adjust for age or sex ratios or living in miles, spires, cities instead of green acres, is as you point out, about two point five times that for whites. She also talked about. You know, this myth that that African-Americans are getting gunned down by police, as you just echoed from that other study. And and this is the problem, right? Because the minute you start actually putting out st- the correct data, that narrative blows up. And when Charlemagne the God is sitting there with Nikki Haley trying to convince her that America is a racist country, if you don't if you if you don't actually look at the, the statistics and the data and you just go with that 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 feeling, that narrative, that that sense of it has to be true. um it becomes difficult to push back on because they'll they being, you know, the people that are pushing the narrative, whether it's the corporate media, whether it's the government or whoever, whoever's in charge, they they want to ignore the factors that get in the way. They want to ignore any of the other factors that get in the way to your point about, you know, whether the person had a gun or something like that, whether the person and they want to argue that there's privilege that exists and certain people have privilege. I mean, Disney had this privilege wheel, Disneyland, you know, you might be privileged if you are and they list all these things and they want to push it out there and they want to make it very, very simple. Not so people can understand it. They want to make it simple so that they can advance a narrative that, yes, America is a racist country. America is a, a sexist country. America is a country that that if you are not born a white person, you don't have the ability to succeed in this country. I mean, is that is that a pretty fair way of putting it? Yeah. No, I mean, first of all, one of the things that's funny is that they always ignore class when they do this stuff. So, I mean, like you might be privileged if you just at random took your girl or your son to Disneyland. Like right. that's. That's, that's rarely taken into account. You're standing in front of a three-star hotel in the Magic Kingdom spinning yes. an ivory wheel. You're probably doing okay. Like, yeah, that's not if what you I can afford to take your family but, to Disney World, you, yeah. congratulations. You're privileged. Well, well done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that's not – for that amount of money, that's not the vacation I would pick as opposed to, like, Spain. But, I mean, that you're, you're doing fine if you're, you're a black guy standing there with three kids. You're, you're okay. You'll make it. Um, but beyond that, though, yes, I, I think that the, the general way this is defended is, and Nikki Haley got a little bit of this, if you, what you're going to do or what you're going to hear, you're just going to be confronted with the fact itself. Like, do you deny that black people are, like Cori Bush did this the other day, three times as likely to be the victims of in-home intimate partner violence? 
And if you try adjusting for anything, like if you say, well, black people are also 20 years younger than white people, and almost all the people responsible for that are other black people, you're just going to get this angry defensive reaction that doesn't answer your question. And the way this often be phrased is like, do you think there's something inferior about us? Do you think there's something about us that makes us have kids young, that makes us kill our women? And the answer is no. Like, I don't think there's anything genetically inferior about West Africans. I mean, Nigerians are West Africans. I mean, the Irish, the Italians, the other half of my background, you know, um, the Scotsmen used to have very high crime rates. But that doesn't change the point that there are a lot of other explanations that you can throw out there. Just as there was a problem in the Irish-American community, there is a cultural problem in the black community now. Like, age is a reality. Like, if you're 20 years younger than your competitor, you're going to be more involved in crime. Living in cities is a reality. So what they'll try to do is pull you into this sort of trap. Like, okay, you don't think it's racism that causes these crime rates. What do you think? I'm an animal. And the answer is what I just said. It's like, no, I think we know how to do regression. So, like, on average, you, quote-unquote, and, you know, I'm not talking about you, my buddy at the park or whatever. But on average, I think your group is... Younger, I think you have more of a hostility toward the police. I think you live in bigger cities. And again, when you put like we know this, it's not my speculation. Like when we put these three or four things into the computer model, the crime gap totally closes. But so does the police shooting gap. So there, there's nothing inherently negative about black people. But there's also, and this is important, there's nothing inherently negative about white people. Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. Like, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. But like the idea that all white people are racist and that's why there's there are issues in every big city and in every minority community that itself is crazily racist. Like, why do I beat my wife? White man made me. That That's not realistic at all. Either. Right. Right. White man. White man. Uh, yes. Uh, Dr. Wolf Riley, today, the American Psychological Association, or at least this week, claimed that hiring the most qualified candidate might be unfair based on one of its most recent studies. The study titled, Can Selecting the Most Qualified Candidate Be Unfair? Examine people's perceptions of merit-based hiring after learning more about the socioeconomic status of potential workers. While previewing the results, it argued that hiring the most qualified candidate could contribute to more inequality. And this is what they said, quote, fairness, uh, heuristic theory suggests that as long as people consider selection processes such as hiring and promotion to be meritocratic and fair, they may continue to accept ever increasing levels of income inequality. Yet in reality, inequality and merit based decisions are deeply intertwined. First of all, I love how they have to use big words for really no reason here. Bottom line is this. They're saying, I think, as I interpret it, forget the most qualified person. You got to fill in the DEI gaps here. And it doesn't matter if the person is the most qualified or not. But I don't know. I mean, if I'm getting on a flight, I want to make sure the pilot's the most qualified possible if i'm about to get open heart surgery i want that surgeon to be pretty qualified i don't i don't really care if this is if that guy was hired or that woman was hired because of some socioeconomic disadvantage that we're trying to make up for well i I think there are two things here because this is kind of interesting like i actually very much am a pro-merit conservative all this but like i also grew up in a working class neighborhood and i think we all know that to some extent if you go into an interview there's that whole book dress for success that every young executive read in the 90s like if you show up without a tie you're 80 percent less likely or whatever to get hired so i i have no doubt that there are and most of us by the time you're an adult can get over this barrier but i have no doubt that there are socioeconomic not racial 
qualifiers that they use. Like, are you fat? I hate to put it that way, but like, do you look lazy? Like, is your suit rumpled? You didn't get to the dry cleaner that day. Like, I've made some decisions like this as a boss, not the first one. But I mean, yeah, I'm pretty sure that happens. That's separate from is merit hiring possible? And I, I think that there are a lot of ways to get around even what I just said. So like in the majority of positions, merit hiring is possible and it's probably 90% of hiring. Like who should you hire as a pilot? I mean, to be a pilot, to pilot a passenger plane, you have to have 1,500 hours in at least a simulated cockpit. So who are the best pilots? They're the pilots that have done their 1,500 hours with the fewest crashes. Like it's actually really easy to figure out most of the time. Like, who are the merit admits to college? They're the people with the best test scores plus the best grades, give 50 points for varsity athletes and band members. It's not hard at all to set up some kind of a reasonable scale and follow that. So, I mean, I, I think on the one hand, like, did, is it an advantage to be 6'5"? Yeah, probably. But can you hire based on merit? Yes. And, like, whenever possible, obviously you should. You don't need... I don't. I don't really like if all the doctors in the cardiac ward are Pakistanis, but they're all really good. Like I'm, I'm cool with them working on my heart. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as thirty minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. As long as they're really good. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the same thing, white doctors, black doctors, whatever. But, I mean, like, you don't, you don't want the C-minus doctor. You don't want the guy who just barely squeaked through, like, you know, eastern whatever state medical school. You know, I, I saw you tweeted out earlier today that the New York Times is finally acknowledging when it comes to gender transition, as it's called, um, that gender transitioners were never actually really asked the question, why do you want to transition? They were, it was never really probed what other factors could be at play here. It's just almost as if they come in, they say, all right, I want to, I want to change my, my, I want to go from being a man to a woman. And they just go, great, you know, sign the form and let's get this done. And that's a real problem because it's something you really, you can't reverse here. You know what I mean? They, they yep. chop it off. It's, it's kind of hard to put it back on. Yeah. Yeah, the, this is – so I, I think a couple things there. First of all, I describe this as what I call normie lag. So I've noticed for years now that there's this process. This started out for me on Facebook. 
then I moved with my then my partner to Instagram briefly. I'm not really the type to post like swimsuit photos, though. But then Twitter. And, you know, you see these debates between kind of like the crazy dissident right and like the intellectual dark web, Sam Harris and Ben Shapiro, the feminists, the true left, actual tanky communist guys. And people say the craziest but most brilliant stuff. And then four years later, you'll see it on the Bill Maher show. So that was my first comment on like, this is just like normie lag in the flesh. This is what like everyone's angry feminist friend said four years ago when guys started trying to be women. The second point is that the tolerance of the trans youth movement, adults, in my opinion, really can't do what they want with their bodies. There are people with gender dysphoria. But the tolerance of the trans youth movement was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Like these kids who obviously were dealing with severe mental trauma, like they were former teenage sex workers, like sex abuse victims, like people who would have been goth in any other era with like cut scars down their arms. They were showing up and saying, like, I'm absolutely sure I'm a boy. And doctors were giving them these hard body drugs. Like, I mean, if you ever played high school sports, you get kicked out of the school if you take pure testosterone. They're giving right. it to like 15 year old girls. Yeah, you know, they're giving it to like 15 year old girls. Girls are growing beards. Like, it was an, an unusual moment in time, let's say. And now a lot of the girls who grew beards, like my friend Prisha, for example, or like Luca Hine, they're just normal, attractive women. They've detransitioned. But they have all these crazy side effects. Like, Luca has this deep voice that is thinking about singing professionally. Like, it's all this stuff that was done to them. People had their breasts removed. Like, full-on double mastectomy, like, knobbed up scar tissue on their bodies. Like, so someone's kind of got to pay for that. Like, you're going to start seeing major suits pretty soon. um, And you're starting to see the first articles now. But it's catching up to what we've been saying for years. And I like your point on that. It, it, eventually, everything we're, we're saying <laughs> will be said in, in, in popular mainstream culture at some point. But I don't know why it takes so long. I, I guess because people think that it's too controversial until somebody like Bill Maher says it, maybe. I guess when he comes out and says it, I guess people get the cue that now they're allowed to talk about it. I think people are uncomfortable saying the obvious truth if it seems to disagree with what kind of the boss man says. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this goes back a long time. So, like, I went on social media the, the other day, and I was like, how can normal, like, working-class master craftsmen and upper-middle-class lawyers and so on say this crazy stuff? Like, it's hard to define a man. Are these the craziest things ever said throughout history? And people started responding to me with, like, things that Islam said in its early days or like tenets of the early church or like how many gods there supposedly are in Hinduism. And they were, the comment was no people have a natural tendency to be willing to act like they believe crazy stuff. If armed leaders are saying it. And this is actually a point I'd make to the audience. Like remember that you have that natural facility of logic, like in Western culture where we generally don't believe in the Hindu gods, We have this idea that any intelligent person can be a journalist. You can write a letter to the newspaper. 10,000 people can read it. Anyone can be a jury man. You can judge a professional lawyer, vote him up or down. And that, that same ability is with you every day. So if someone says something crazy, you might not speak out about it in public, but you should be absolutely aware that it's nuts. And I I think that silent majority refers to the people that are absolutely aware. A lot of this stuff is nuts. Like if you defund the police, you'll get an increase in crime. That's another one. Or, like, if you relax the border, you'll get a lot of immigrants, some good guys, some bad guys. That's that's another obvious point. It's just that you're not supposed to notice the obvious point. Mm-hmm.
Like, well, like, like if women um, are allowed, or, or, or if trans men are allowed to box women, or wh- whatever the hell the latest rule is that they just came out with, yeah. it's going to be dangerous for women. It's not going to be. It's not going to work out well for them. Yeah, it's just you have to use, you have to exercise logic. But I mean, again, I don't think this is crazier than what people used to believe. Like, without being crude, I mean, people used to believe that women who had certain types of orgasms were witches. Mm-hmm. I mean. Like, it's just the, the, well, you never know. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's obvious jokes there. But, uh, Come on. <laughs> stealing souls. But, but no, like, the, the point, though, is that people have always been able, willing to believe crazy crap. And by the way, that, that idea didn't come from male lords. It came from, like, the women's circle, like other women in society that, for whatever reason, were, were angry with these people. But, I mean... Humans have a remarkable tendency to believe this crap. Like, oh, the mayor's wife said that. It must be true. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see two forces at work there. Like, one, you have to believe what mostly honorable leaders say to be able to do anything. Like, when your master sergeant or your coach is like, okay, you see that big hill? Run up it. You have to be able to put aside the facility of logic and be like, okay, sure thing, boss man. But. You also have to be able, when you get home, to think about whether that was logical so you can evaluate, you know, their performance as a leader for the next time. And, you know, this has been one of those periods the past five years or so where we've, we've put that aside for a little bit. And we've, I mean, there's the COVID hysteria. I mean, obviously, we lost more than 500,000 people. It's a great tragedy. There are 350 million Americans, however. Hopefully, we won't do that again. Um, you know, it looks like we're now being kind of moved into another uh, international war. You know, you're, you're seeing some of some of the hysterics around that. And in between, you see some of the stuff like the trans thing, police defunding. And every one of these things involves what a psychologist friend of mine, Pat Lockwood, calls a tulip bulb panic, where people will just kind of put rationality aside for a while and just say dumb crap, like not one life, not one life over and over again. Trans women are women. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, and, and, and then there's a whole group of people that will cheer them on for saying it, even though it's freaking nuts. Dr. Wilfred Riley, always a pleasure, my friend. Order the book today. Lies my liberal teacher told me. Uh, have a great week and uh, we'll chat again soon. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app 